Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 239. And in today's regular episode, we are just going to talk about the allegedly simple uh, task of setting up marks for our retrievers. Now, if you don't know what the terminology means, I I don't want to just use terminology of people that have been doing this for a long time, but a mark or a marked retrieve is one that the dog gets to watch as opposed to a blind retrieve where something's out there and the dog did not get to see it go down. So this is where something goes down and the dog pays attention to the trajectory and the landing of this. And so that is a marked retrieve. In other words, the dog visually marks it and then uses that to go get it and come back. Now, a marked retrieve can be anything that the dog sees. So the dog may be sitting next to you and you do a hand thrown. You know, you have a bumper with the rope and that's why they have ropes on them. So you can get a little bit of of torque on that and, and get it out there a little bit further. So you can do a hand thrown mark. And this emanates from above the dog's head and then goes out in some direction in front of it and lands. And you want, ideally, the dog would watch this. Then there are marked retrieves where there is someone throwing for you. And this is something, regardless of what your ultimate purpose with this dog is, is is necessary, actually. And that's where there's somebody out in front of you, so the dog is looking out and something is thrown and the dog watches the trajectory of that and notes the area where it went down and then runs out there and diligently searches that area and come back. So that's what a marked retrieve is. Now, why is this something important? Um, And if you already know that, I don't have to explain it. And if you don't, it's a skill. Marking is a skill. Various dogs have various just natural ability to one, have that kind of visual acuity. And then the next part is then to be able to assimilate that and figure it out and then act on it. So marking is a combination of how good their eyes are, what their focus is, how much they care, and how much opportunity to get better and better at it uh, you give them. And then the natural ability. I've had, I mean, there I've had dogs come through that it was incredible. I'd been out throwing for them and maybe 300 yards out there. And they get there within, golly, you know, three feet of it. I I couldn't do that myself to save my life. And then, you know, other dogs where you're 20 yards out and you toss a big white bumper, (laughs) they they run by it. And then, oh, yeah, that's right, they get back. So there's a lot of different, you know. So what you need to do, right, is kind of figure out where your dog is. And regardless of where that is, work on it. Because a marked retrieve for a dog now is a skill. And it's something that they get better at with practice. But this requires a few things before even getting up, setting up marks, getting into that. It requires several things. Now, however big you are, maybe you're a kid, even then, no matter who you are, or somebody's 6'5", where your eyes are and what you see is very different from a dog that's maybe 24 inches, eyes off the ground, give or take, some less, little shorties, you know, might be down there less than that, 
big, big, long-legged dog might be a little bit higher than that, but that is their viewpoint. So when you do this from your viewpoint, it may be somewhat similar to what the dog sees or completely not at all. So for a little teeny tiny puppy, right, whose little eyes are, are two or three inches off the ground and they don't have much distance vision, at least when you're throwing little puppy things for uh, somebody, remember that. So if you throw it in grass, you can see it. You can see this white canvas thing laying out there. And, you know, the grass is two inches high. They see they don't see anything. <laughs> they saw it go down, you know, and, and so you, they have to kind of get out there and noodle it out. So there's a lot of things that you want to at least be aware of from your dog's viewpoint. So if you are, you know, just working with a dog and teaching a dog, the first thing you want to do is understand their viewpoint when you set up your stuff. They are not five foot, six foot tall, right? They are way down there and they have a different perspective on things, particularly if you have terrain, you know, and you have rolling ground and, you know, various things. You may see that there's a big uh, ravine on the way out there and where they are, they don't see it at all. So then, you know, what do they, what do they do with that? Some dogs figure that kind of stuff out and some takes a while to figure that stuff out. So just when you're just doing your hand-thrown stuff even, just be aware from the very beginning of where your dog's eyes are. And when you're running a mark, and again, I don't care if you're a little puppy and you were doing canvas bumpers or we're doing big dog things at many hundreds of yards out, you know, using birds. Be aware that there are several factors for the dog. And again, people that are good at setting up marks for one have done it a lot. That's the only way you get good. I don't care who you are. The only way you get good at setting up marks is by setting up marks. You can't get skilled by observation compared to setting them up, make, making a mistake, doing it wrong, <laughs> learning from that one, watching what dogs do, Look what they do in their interpretation versus yours. That's how you get better at it. But when you're doing this, understand there's several things. One is their, their visual take on this. So just, again, whether you've got a little puppy or you're doing big fancy things, a visual thing on this one, they're down at whatever elevation they are. So always, you know, certainly before you run a set of marks, unless it's just, you know, just absolutely an uneventful flat field with obvious things, and even then, get down from their perspective and look at what they're seeing. What are you throwing? Right, if you're throwing a little frozen bird or you're throwing a, a whatever it is, and it's up in the air out there, what is the background behind it? So those of you that are in the Midwest and the East and the South, usually it's just dark green stuff <laughs> behind everything. So when you throw kind of a a uh, frozen little brown thing against a bunch of dark green thing, there's very little contrast there for a dog to see. So it may be, that will be a very difficult part of that. How clearly do they see it? And in terms of, you know, did they see it at a distance of 50 yards or did they see it at a distance of 150 yards? Can they differentiate that with the background? So that's a big, important thing. Another important thing is the lighting. I don't know how many times I've run an event, a field trial or a hunt test, where in the, they, the guys, 
you know, the setup judges did the setup the prior evening. They go, this will be great. We'll start land right over here. Sun was shining on everything on the west side of them behind them, right? And you get out there in the morning and the <clears throat> sun is coming up <laughs> and you're dog number two. And all you and your dog can see is this bright orb of intense light and not much else. And so that makes... Uh, that makes the visual very difficult. When the sun gets overhead, gets much better. And when if the sun was behind you, okay, then, <laughs> then it can be real easy. I mean, this thing is just highlighted, but even against a, a, a dark thing against a dark background. So when you're just doing your own kind of set of marks, there's another factor to take into account. What is the background? How much am I helping or hindering this dog in whatever it is I'm trying to achieve with this? So there's another deal. Of another factor always, of course, is the wind. Because they're going to use their wind, the wind, their scent, and their eyes to track this as it goes down and to identify where they think the area of the fall is. In other words, where that likely thing fell. Okay, so that's, that's what they're going to, those are what they use. So if you set up something with the wind directly in your face, they might be able to smell that bird shortly after leaving the line. So now we're not so much marking or using our eyes near so much as we just find that scent cone and then just go with it till we find it. Now, when you're teaching little dogs, a young dog that doesn't really know what running marks is, that can be helpful because it will kind of get them out there without you having to assist them. Because as much, when you're teaching and developing marking skills on a dog, uh, it's not your job to make it trivial for them so they get confidence. It's confidence is an element to this. But at first we have to teach them, this is your job. You, that's why I have the dog. So you, you watch, then you go get it. And the more that you help these little guys in the beginning, whether it's you, whether it's your thrower out there, then they become reliant on help when they're learning this. So you want to set up things that pretty much put the onus on the dog to walk out there and get it. So people who stretch, you know, field trap people are real good for this. You get a little puppy that marks okay. Oh, you stretch him out as much as you can. Filter is really long. And you start stretching him out. So pretty soon, especially a smart dog with some skill, it gets farther really than they're probably ready for. So they start to develop other means of getting to the mark. They may always say, well, there's a guy standing out there or there's a holding blind or whatever. You use your wingers. There's something out there. So I'm not sure exactly where I saw that, but I know if I run over to this this holding blind or this winger or this person and then hunt around them, I'll find it. Now, in a hunt test, you do not want that because hunt tests don't have people in white coats standing out there or, or people, you know, you might not ever see where it came from. So if you start developing, you know, alternative marking skills, again, I'm not sure where it went, but I do know if this is out there. So people that do run long marks with white coats, they actually use that oftentimes, you know, to help get the dog out there. And I think as long as, you know, you don't do it too, too much, so they just basically start marking off the gunning station, which then can really cause some problems in judges that know how to set up and make that become a difficulty. 
Um, you just don't want to do that. The most you can, the best thing I think that you want to do, particularly if you're a hunter or a hunt test person, then you want the dog to take the responsibility themselves for watching that bird and watching it go down. In the beginning, when they are learning, you don't have your gunner hidden behind a bunch of shrubbery and make some quacking noises and shoots and throws something out. And, you know, the dog has to already completely rely on itself to do this. So you do that stuff shorter. You do have somebody out there in the beginning. In the very beginning, you have your gunner standing right out there, little puppies, right out there, making the noise, getting the dog to look out particularly if all you've ever done are hand-thrown. So they just think it comes from over your head and lands up, plops out in front of you somewhere. Now you have to teach them, if you hunt or if you compete, that this action is out front. Things come in from out there, get shot out there, and go down out there, and that is where you need to focus. So you need that gunner in there. And in the beginning, you let them just see you standing there. You get their attention... It's not the handler's job to get the dog looking somewhere. I see people moving the dog's head and all this stuff. That's what your gunner's for. They get the attention out there like it was a duck that was coming in, landing, making some noise. And the dog looks out. Then they do their throwing and thing goes down and it's laying right out there, right? So when you first transition puppy people from it you throwing the bumper all the time or whatever you're throwing you throw in that and now you have somebody else throw it very often what happens is the dog runs out there and gets it and takes it back to who threw it because that's what they've done every day of their life that they've done retrieves with you so <laughs> so that's always kind of that that's real normal it happens all the time and there's a number of things you can do you can have the person kind of inaccessible, you know, I don't know, up on the tree stump or something. Or else what you, what you often, what I like to do is when I throw and the little guy isn't sure where to go, I'll just run back to the handler as the thrower. I'll run back to the handler and the dog comes with me. And then in pretty short order, they learn I always go back to my handler. That's what I do. So that's a problem that you know is going to come. And you can also do it by having your thrower in the beginning stand fairly near the handler and doing a huge big throw as they can way out somewhere so that it, they just tend to come back. You're already drawing them back. So if you're already back by, at the handler by the time the dog picks it up, you then teach him to run back the handler. But you've got to do that. Sometimes that's a big deal. But you can't do all of that at once. We're going to teach him with a remote throwing now and a gunner out there that they can't see. And you got to teach, understand, this is not you running the retrieves. This is the little dog. And so you want them to, one, look out, learn to look out. The gunner gets their attention out there. Throw. Right? And then come back to the handler. That's one of the first things you're going to teach these little guys. Before you start getting into all kinds of setups and all that stuff, begin to develop the skill of focusing, watching, taking the responsibility, going out and getting it, and bringing it back to you. That's the first set of things that you have to teach on this. When you get that, okay, when the dog loves this, and for all the gun-shy people... When your dog loves to go do this, now is a great place to inter introduce the shot, not by shooting birds over them, but by, although some you can, but what you want to do is when they love this, okay, now you have a gunner out there, 
and they're going to get the dog's attention. <clears throat> and the dog's looking. And then you, with a, a, like a, like a cap gun, you know, or a little pistol with blanks in it, 209 primers, not a big old boom sound, but just that sound. Now what's going to happen? We had it the other weekend with some new guys that had never done it before. Usually there's a ricochet. So the gun makes its sound. And then if there's anything behind them to bounce off of, you get that ricochet sound, and the little dog turns ahead and looks behind him. <laughs> That's real natural. So if your gunner knows that, then when the dog turns around to see, it looks like there was a shot one way and then a shot the other way, you get their attention back on you, and then you throw. And it just takes a few days of that till the little dog learns, oh, I hear that first gunshot, and then I watch, and it goes down, and the ricochet thing can go away. But you got to know that that's going to happen. So that's one of the ways you, at a distance from you that you begin to associate gunfire with cool stuff. Not just by banging and getting them used to loud noises. Eh? You know, that's kind, of, that's kind of nasty. But if you teach them, when you hear this, you get to go retrieve, then the gun thing becomes a very positive thing. And you don't start out with a 12-gauge or a, a max blaster like most people use anymore these days. You start out with a little 209 primer and a pistol so that it's not a big noise. So now they begin to associate the gun with I'm going to get to go retrieve. And they come back to you. Now, again, don't let them learn the wrong thing. So if they're kind of get kind of wild and crazy, which some puppies just do, right? Have a real long, super thin cord that can't, you know, hang up on something and choke them to death, right? And then make sure you have the end, go get the end of that, bring them back to you. Make sure for the little guys you teach them, you go out, you come back. I've broken that down in the puppy class. Don't If you're trying to teach them marking, but you don't get them back, then we're not really teaching them anything, but run out there and then do your thing. So just don't let them do stuff that you don't want them to do. If you need, if they're not real interested, then don't work on study. You know, get them excited about it. If they are real interested, then make them stay seated. You can, the little guys, you can just hold one hand on their neck, one hand on their little behinds, keep them down. In the beginning, let them go when it's in the air so that it makes it easier to get out there and find it. When they're good at that, now let's wait till it hits the ground and then send them on your single thing, you know, which generally is their name. Not, hey, go get it, um, but something that means go do your retrieve and then have them come back. So as we're teaching them this skill, this part of their job in the world, uh, they have to enjoy it. It has to be fun. Absolutely. But don't then turn that into, and go do whatever you want at the same time. Just have them come back. If you have to use the cord, you know, then good dog and bring them on back. Doesn't matter if they drop the thing or not. They just need to come back because that'll stop soon when they understand that what the expectation is. But again, I strongly suggest don't let them learn stuff that you don't, later you're going to be going, how do I get them to, you know, or, and make them sit down. When they get just a little bit bigger, I can put my foot on the, on their tail, not where it hurts or then you'll never be able to do it. But they're so ready to see that thing go down that I can just stand over their tail. And then when they're wanting to go, I can just press that down and not let them get up. Can't hurt them. Can't make it a bad deal. Until pretty soon they know they have to sit there and wait till they're sent. Unless they're not that interested. Then don't get after them 
telling them not to go when maybe they don't really want to go anyway. So make sure you've got that there. Now, when you start stretching them out and doing making things more difficult, there isn't a way to do that. People always do it the same way. I've always done it like this. But just understand what skill levels you're trying to develop in the dog. Okay, you want them, one, to be focused. If you don't have that, you really don't have anything. So you have to have kind of your basic obedience and responsiveness so that they know that they're going to sit there and watch for this and that it's their job, not yours. No one's going to be helping them. Now, obviously, if they do need help, you do have a gunner out there who will, but that's not built into this. So they have to watch. Then they have to go directly, as directly as they can, at it. So that doesn't mean put them in the water and require that they go straight in the water. When they're puppies, throw it in the middle of the pond so there's only one way to go. In and then come back out. But on the ground, first you teach them to go out and come back by throwing a clearly visible white thing in the middle of a brown or green field where they can see it. Right? First we teach them that. We teach them that it's their job to do it. Now you can begin to stretch that out without exceeding the limits of their little eyes. And don't always throw the same distance, because if you do, then they only go that distance. How many dogs I've gotten in over the years that always went out, I don't know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 40 yards or so. You know, you could tell somebody with a good arm was throwing bumpers, and I can tell just how far they always threw them, because the dog would go out that no matter what. You know, and so you, then you have to teach them, don't go a certain distance, Go to where the bumper or the bird is. And you have to vary your distances and vary the difficulty. That way they just go where it is. You begin to add things which are difficult for the dog, not you. You're not running the mark. Their little eyes are way down. First, if you throw it in front of the cover, then throw it just inside the cover. Then eventually you can throw it on the other side of the cover. Those aren't big deals. Cover for some dogs can be just like a wall. So if you have one of those, teach them about, sometimes you can see it, sometimes it's in the middle, sometimes it's past. Again, I've gotten so many dogs in over the years, wherever, and when I started with the hand-thrown stuff, they would always go into the heaviest cover and stay there. So I know all their stuff had been thrown into that. You know, some of it needs to be thrown past it. So you go through it, come out, and look for it. There is a lot to that. And then we're just doing hand-thrown stuff right now with little guys. And then when you start having your thrower out there, which you do need to have, you begin to add these different elements. Crossing a road for some dogs is absolutely, has no thought at all. And other dogs don't cross the road. I don't know why. That's just how dogs are. So things that to you seem just irrelevant are big deals to them. Instead of just making assumptions about what the dog should be doing, Find out what the dog is telling you their, their strong points and weak points are. And when you found a weak point, like crossing the road at an angle or going through the cover and out the other side, and work on that. That's kind of on the teaching mark things that you set up. So there's much to do. You know, go across a little stream. Some dogs, that's nothing. Other dogs, it's impossible. So that tells you what to work on. It's not that you got an icky dog or this dog's no good or whatever. It's that this is where his weak spot is. So let's work on it. 
So now let's just upgrade a little because I'm not going to drag this on. But now you've got a dog that's trained that knows how to run marks. They sit there. They wait to be sent. They understand the area of a fall. They are not reliant on help. You know, and people who have dogs that can handle. It, that's one of the worst tools to hand over to somebody that's new to this stuff. Because it's just like getting the coolest toy in the world. If it doesn't go right where I want it, I can put it there. Okay, that teaches the dog the wrong thing. Even, you know, when you're at the highest levels, you, handling is not there to help out. Handling's there to save them if they're about to go over the cliff. I mean, it's it's the dog's responsibility. So you don't use handling to make them go right to the right spot. You Generally, it's better to have your gunner helper than handle them. Um, because you don't want them to get out there, can't find it, turn around, pop, and look at you going, all right, tell me where it is. That is not, do not do that. They have to learn to take the responsibility themselves unless they're lost or leaving the area. But then get your gunner. If you absolutely have to handle because you got a winger and they won't come back to the winger sound, then do that. But you were teaching them to mark, not teaching them to be robots to go to the perfect spot. And if they don't do it, you will. I see people do that a lot. Because handling can be so cool when you've never done it before. When you're setting up marks, let's say you got a dog now that runs marks and you're wanting to, uh, you know, upgrade a little bit. So what most people do, I've said this a lot, is they go set up the test. All right, we're going to run this certain event, so I'm going to go set it up. Or they saw something really cool at the other training day and somebody set this thing up. So neat, now let's do it again. All right. I'm going to, let's just say I don't do that at all, ever. I don't set up tests. I don't set up something that I saw before. When you or see a set of marks or you run your dog on a set of marks, the purpose of that is not to be the best guy at the training day or to feel how great your dog is. That's always nice. That's nice, but that's not the purpose of that. Every single set of marks that you run with your dog should be your opportunity to see where are my holes? Where are my weak spots? And you don't do it by setting up the test. You do it by, let's say that your last training session, your dog overran every mark you had. They just ran way by it. One time the gunner had to help. You know, finally they hunted their way back. They were overrunning everything. You know, that could be a problem you have. So let's go set up a long mark and then two short ones. And short ones that even, you know, might be kind of they can't really miss it once they get out there. In other words, let's deal with teaching the dog, don't just run crazy wild. Run to where the bird is. So you're going to let them do one big one where they can run out there and then come back with some short things that they can see when they get there into the area. So that would be the marks that you would want to run. Or if you're running somebody else's marks, move your line so you get that kind of a thing to have happen. Or have them throw the bird a little bit further back or further out or something so that you can accomplish what you need to. Every set of marks in training should be for you to strengthen what needs strengthening and to find out what else needs to be worked on. That's the purpose of marks in training. So if you have... Your dog fails on, let's say, tight marks. They're too close, and when they're close, the dog gets insecure and runs around and gets worried. All right? When dogs get worried on stuff, that tells you about what you've been doing. 
you've been, you have them in a little over their head and they don't know what to do with it. So again, you don't go out and set up something so flippin' easy, you know, that they can't miss because you're just putting off the inevitable. But let's say tight marks get the dog real nervous. You know, you kind of got after them one time when they really didn't know what they were doing wrong. And so the dog has kind of lost some confidence. So you can set up multiple marks. They can be relatively tight. You run one at a time and you run them as singles. And you don't come back and rerun them. Don't do that. You, you, but you set them up where they can't really miss their close, but there it is. So they begin, and you have to do that more than once. Just go ahead and set up something that's challenging to them. Break it down into its pieces and let them do it. And pretty soon they begin to get their confidence back on that stuff. You cannot punish a dog who is not marking well. That would be like punishing me because I can't sing in anything that you'd ever want to listen to. You can punish me all you want. It will not change. So you don't punish them when they don't mark stuff. Find out the best, figure out where the, where the weakness is, and then work to strengthen that the best that you can. So the dog believes it can mark. I've Over all these years, I've always taken dogs that I would say were very standard not real super talent but okay and by doing a lot of things where they felt like whatever it is I can do it usually by breaking them down into their pieces instead of doing big things hard things at once where they just looked out and went I got it I can do this then you can take them somewhere on a tough day when you got a triple out there and it's real hard and they have that same mindset well shoot I can do this they don't even know because they're so used to feeling confidence, not because it's so simple, but because you've addressed where they have a lack of confidence by breaking it down. So as far as I'm concerned, when people set up marks and stuff, that's the way to do it. Always be addressing what you need to. Be teaching, get, uh, getting skills acquired where you need them. That's the whole purpose of setting up marks. And when you watch that and do it and make mistakes and and learn and pay attention and you don't blame the dog but yet watch what's happening and learn from it that's how you learn to go set up marks if you want to be a judge a good one then you have to learn that stuff so that when you go somewhere and you see the the grounds that you have and what's available you want to set up an actual marking test not some tricky dicky thing that your dog fails on all the time let's see if all of these other people can do it which is a very common judging phenomena set up something that truly tests the dog's ability to mark that is reasonably fair not some tricky thing because now you're testing their training and no decent judge in the world should test the training you should test the dog's marking ability and you should understand the effects of terrain lighting wind uh, cover things out there if you understand what those things do you can use some of that in setting up your test. So when you go train every weekend, train to shore up what you need. And I'm just going to make a comment about rerunning things. And, you know, everybody has their own ideas about this very, very strongly. And I'm just going to throw out mine because often, especially relatively new or inexperienced people, or people that don't sit there and noodle this out in their own head to try to figure out what, it learn something from every single training session they have. Uh, a lot of times people assume that 
Well, if they didn't understand these two, you know, this certain concept somebody set up, everybody loves concepts, right? It, they, some, they, uh, well, let's run it again. And then my dog will learn it. And I'm going to say, uh, for young, for little guys, for new dogs, dogs new to this that have never seen this before, or have never been stretched out that far, or ever had to run by this or that thing, a repeat every now and then can be useful. One. One. Not three. One. So they go, okay, go ahead. You can run by that big, scary-looking, white, flapping thing to get out where the bird is. You know, give them an opportunity to go, see, you're okay, because we're trying to make them have a little more confidence about something. We're not trying to teach a, a hip pocket. Like, let's, let's do hip pockets. I already blew it up. So let's just do it again. And I'm going to tell you why. I I'll virtually never repeat. Not always. Sometimes there's some compelling reason to do something. But I, I virtually never repeat something. Because let's say somebody set up something. That was too hard. This real tight hip pocket. You can't see this or that. It was it had too many elements to it. And your dog just blew up on you. Right? So there is memory out there. There are feelings and experiences that dog had out there. And now you're going to turn around and send them right back into the same thing again, figuring they're going, oh, golly, I got another chance. Let me learn what I didn't do before. That's really not what they do. There's memories out there. there's, there's They have thoughts and ideas. You have no idea. You know, whether they're going to go never run by a big flapping white thing again, ever. Never, oh, it's so scary. You know, and then they're going to run again and get more scared. Now we're just drilling it in. Or it's so tight that they don't know what to do, and they're not sure which station they're at, and they're and confused, and you send them out again. I don't know what you're going to expect them to get out of that. But, but, so when people do it again, it one of two things. They either are out there going, I don't know, I don't like this. This is, I'm so concerned, and their confidence then goes down even further. Or they learn sometimes when you don't get it, don't worry. Because you'll get to do it again. So don't, you don't even have to try real hard because every time you mess up, you just get another chance at it. So they're not going to improve from the repeating. As a matter of fact, they're going to become more reliant on you always making it easy for them after they failed at something. And none of those things are good for the education of a dog, for shoring up the weak spots repeats rarely not always but rarely help you out they usually make the problem a little bit worse that's why it's never fun to hold an event on your training grounds you know sometimes it works out all right but usually if it's your training grounds and you know there's a water blind over there where whoa man we really had a blow up two weeks ago or two months ago or last year you know that oh the dog i got too too heavy on them and they got it just blew up and now, guess what? The judge saw, look at this. This be a great water blind to run. Something right or right by it? You have to go by where they went, where all the trouble started? Your dog's going to go, oh, I don't go over there. <laughs> this, all the memories come back, right? And so it kind of blows up. I've seen that. So I had it happen to me before where they're like, it, there's a memory there. And it messes up. They're just doing the test. That tells you a little bit about the effects of repeating. So usually the effects of repeating things are not very good. So if you run a setup and then you just run it again, your dog's getting something out of that, but it's likely not what you think.
because the, I could do that with you. If I was teaching you to do a hip pocket deal, I could send you out there and then come back and go, no, no, do it again. Now you saw where they are. Let's try it again because, and because you have a human mind, not how most dogs are. Not, matter of fact, nobody, no dogs are exactly that way. They're getting stuff out of it, but not what you think. So that's, that's this one today, just on marking. There's so much to it. But for people that are fairly new or, you know, for judges, shoot. Um, marking is not often what people think. It's not like, okay, wherever I are, am, I'm going to do a hip pocket. I just really, those are really hard. Don't, that's ridiculous. Take advantage of where you are and the grounds and what's available. Know what your dog needs or your bunch of dog needs or your training group. Hey, we, we have a lot of trouble running long and then short. You know, so let's do, let's do something where we work on that, even if it's singles. Teach your dog, because what you want to teach your dog is to focus, right? This is what marking is all about. Focus, watch, worry about, consider the area of the fall. Consider that. Get skilled at going where that is. Believe that you can do it. And then go do it. And if there's one close and tight to that, don't get worried. You know, I've I've shown you how to deal with this stuff. And you go in with that kind of mindset and that kind of skill. You can do whatever they set up. Even screwball stupid stuff because your dog goes, well, okay, I see it. So that's what marking is all about. Takes a lot of thought. Takes a lot of observation. I'll tell you, people who work with trainers, the worst thing you can do <laughs> when there's you know somebody set up something and they know what they're doing and it's there's three marks out there and we're all working on you know doing long and coming coming checking down after that and then the handler comes up and goes okay what's the order what am i supposed to do they're getting absolutely nothing out of it they're just out running the mark um and that's fine but you're not learning anything but if you sit there and watch the setup and what all the dogs are doing you're going to learn a lot about that set of marks and what dogs tend to do. All very useful if you're going to get into this stuff. So that's the one for today. I hope that for people that are interested in this particular aspect, it gives you a little food for thought. Um, it's a lot more of an academic thing, I think, than most people think. And don't just go out and go, let's do this concept today, unless there's something very specific about that you need. And if you do, instead of just doing the concept, break it into its pieces and practice that. That's always, that's never a bad thing to do. So that's today's. I hope you're all doing well. Um, I'll be back early next week with the uh, third part of the puppy series, and we will continue. Hope everybody's healthy, healthy happy, and uh, stay safe.